August 28, 1963, was a beautiful summer day. It was warm and sunny, without a drop of rain to fall in the crowd. And if the quarter million people gathered for the March on Washington remember it being hot, it wasn't because of the weather. The temperature never rose above 83, but the imagination of the public was on fire. Martin Luther King Jr. stood at the podium. He was the last speaker for the evening after a long afternoon of speakers and singers. He could see the people gathered around the Lincoln Memorial, dipping their feet in the reflecting pool, holding signs, waiting for him to deliver speech that would change American history. But Dr. King had a problem. He had been up all night, writing, crossing out words, and reworking his speech. He was trying to cover all the issues he had discussed with his advisors, issues of freedom, oppression, and independence. Seven advisors in total had stayed overnight at the Williard Hotel with Dr. King, all trying to add their input into King's final speech. For the most part, Dr. King delivers a speech, as it was intended, from his notes. In fact, you can see him reading from the lectern in this historic footage. Go on YouTube and check it out. He scans through the pages of what they prepared the night before. But after six paragraphs of reading, Dr. King hesitates. He looks up and hears a voice in the crowd. A gospel singer, a friend of King, Mahalia Jackson, shouts at him, Tell him about the dream. And he does. Martin Luther King Jr. pushes aside his notes. He abandons the ending of his speech he was giving, which had a more politically driven ending. Then he delivers on a dream, a dream he had been building while he toured America. Clarence B. Jones, author of Behind the Dream and one of King's closest advisors, leaned toward one of the marchers and said, These people out here today don't know it yet, but they're about to go to church. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, and I'm joined by researcher, writer, introvert, Joe Anthony. Good evening, Todd. How are you tonight, Joe? I'm doing good. Procrastination and Martin Luther King. Tell me how this works out. Uh, it's something we delayed writing for a long time, <laughs> purely out of laziness. <laughs> uh, well said. Procrastination is the longest four-letter word in the world of business. Being a chronic procrastinator is like having a curse on you. And whenever you underdeliver on a project or you flub in a meeting, everyone will assume it was your lack of preparation on your part. They assume you were procrastinating. And they judge you for it, don't they? People treat procrastination like it's a lack of willpower on your part. As if procrastination is a weakness, one that you are stuck with until the day you die. Then they bury you in a half-finished coffin. Today we're exploring the science of procrastination. First we'll examine the myth that procrastination is always a bad thing. We'll discuss how you can use procrastination to your advantage. And how procrastination may have been given Dr. King the best speech of his career. Then we're going to look into the myth that procrastination is a shameful flaw in your character. We'll look at why we procrastinate. What happens to our brain when we enter procrastination mode. And what makes us chronic procrastinators. Finally, we'll look at the myth that chronic procrastinators are cursed. 
and will arm you with the tools to overcome procrastination, according to the research. But first, Joe's going to tell us how much Dr. King's speech was improvised. So, Todd, I have a question for you. Yes, far away. Have you ever done a project at work where you had six or seven people giving you input all at once? No. Um, Something you may have experienced at Toastmasters is feedback from six or seven people? Yes, many times. <laughs> That's the cheat, is uh, we're both in the same organization, the, uh, the speaking organization, Toastmasters. Getting that kind of uh, feedback, the creative feedback from groups of people, it's hard to fit everybody's input. If you consider the source, first of all, and you eliminate certain people who you don't value their opinion or think that they have the skill or intelligence to, to be giving you feedback in the first place, Right, right. Who is this person to be giving me feedback? <laughs> now imagine all six or seven are well-trusted, intelligent sources, and they all want their input to be taken. And if you don't put it in your speech, it's ruined. And you need these people because they've gotten you to where you're this public person. And <laughs> right. these are the best in the business. So you value their opinion. You want them to stick around. I can't imagine that. It's hard with just one person. And with that kind of content, how do you, how do you weed out? Exactly. So that's what Martin Luther King uh, did before his big I Have a Dream speech. Is It was him shacked up in a hotel with six or seven advisors. All of them had been with him for parts of his career, had feedback for him, issues politically that they needed him to address in his speech. And he actually got to most of it. Uh, he had six paragraphs where he uh, spoke on message. And he was not a prompter. I was going to say follow the prompter, but he followed his notes. And then that's when he started rethinking what he was doing. And you can see it in the video. The video is amazing because it doesn't, to the ears, it doesn't feel like a big pause. But you can physically see him change track. And you can't hear uh, the, 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 the shout of tell him about the dream. But here's the part where I really uh, found in the research that I was the most interested in this type of procrastination, which is a, a mastered procrastination. He stops, and right before giving the I Have a Dream speech, uh, he thinks on what he had spoken about at different rallies. So like uh, one sentence came from a church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, another part of his speech, uh, another sentence came from uh, Cobo Hall in Detroit. So, like, like literally chunks of it were brought together from all these different rallies he had attended. From different cultures, different parts of the country that we know are like different countries, right, in our country. Right, exactly. And, and the words, the, the very phrase, I have a dream, it was nowhere in his originally written speech. So, so he, that was off the top. It was completely off from, the top. From one of his sermons. Right. It was, it was from these sermons. And obviously, um, uh, his, his friends had heard it, clearly. Uh, but he had not given that as a full piece yet. I just don't know how he could juggle all those personalities and all that content. It's right. such an important speech with so much on the line and the whole world watching. And being the last speaker of the evening means everyone is just, their their breath is baited. They're, they're waiting. They're worked up. Yeah, this is the climax of the whole yeah, the movement. Right. So something we're going to get to uh, today is the mastery procrastination versus the the sort of lazy procrastination. See, he had practiced those things. So he had the, the mastery. He already had put in the hours. His procrastination was more about, you know, the, the coming up with it right at the night before. 
um, but he had put in the 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 time it took. That he had dribbled and and shot until he was good at those. So it wasn't procrastination in a way where he could flub it. This makes me look up to him even more when you hear how much work went into it. Right, exactly. Uh, that that he had gotten so good that he could fit this speech together on the fly and and change American history. And we've talked about this on some of our other shows about great leaders who listen to their people that they that they hire. They don't yes. just have them around as to do things for them, but to, to take their advice and, and use them. Right. Calling back to our, our FDR episode. That's exactly what he did. And it, it, it makes me smile to think on that. Dr. King's flavor of procrastination is the best sort of procrastination. He made a split decision and he improvised using skills he had already mastered. As we'll discover today, the truly negative form of procrastination happens when we delay a task we're unfamiliar with. When we put off a report about something we haven't learned yet, or we delay a chore that requires sweat and labor, that's when procrastination damages the end product. And that brings us to our first myth, that all procrastination is negative. It's hard for me to believe that procrastination can be positive. I personally made some costly mistakes while operating a construction company in Seattle. I got behind on payroll, advertising, and taxes. Instead of being honest and transparent, I hoped, prayed that the problems would just go away. I thought the money would just fall from the sky and all my problems would leave. If I would have just gotten honest and spoke up right away, the damage would have been minimal. Instead, I ended up paying huge fines, huge tax liens, lost all my customers, and lost all my best employees. Procrastination almost put me under. Joe, on the other hand, is going to try to convince me that procrastination can be a good thing. So I am not going to try to convince you to procrastinate on taxes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't recommend that to anyone. Don't pay any of your bills and lie and things are going to work out. Right, exactly. (laughs) Uh, There is a positive type of procrastination and I kind of wanted to point that out before we got to the brain stuff. Okay. Um, because there is a misconception in procrastination. Uh, the difference we're going to be pointing out is uh, our brand of procrastination, the I don't want to do this procrastination. I don't want to. Right. Versus the split decision. There was a term coined by Igor Anzoff, a business manager, called analysis paralysis. Have you heard of this? No, I have not. Okay, this has come up in uh, Gladwell's books too. Um, Gladwell has sort of popularized the term, but it basically means if you come into a position where you have a lot of decisions all at once, analysis paralysis can set in. It's uh, the most basic form in marketing is you go to the store, you go to pick up like a box cereal. And you look at the shelf, and there are hundreds of boxed cereals. Okay. Uh, you know, a, a rainbow of colors and different brands, and it, they're all too sugary. Like, you're just picking through the worst, uh, like the best of the worst. And that's a form of analysis paralysis. That's the easiest one to understand. Uh, we get into this in business, too, where you're given a task that you don't know how to perform it. So you don't know what to do, so you just don't do anything. Right. So, or if I'm in the shed and I'm working on, like, I'm, I'm building furniture and I don't know how to do something, like, I don't know how to make a corner railing or something, I will get 
analysis paralysis. I'll start doing other things around yeah. the task I'm supposed you to cover do. Cover that with a blanket and go do something else that's a lot minimal and that's not going to get your reach your goal. Yeah, right. I do this all the time. Yeah. Lots mentally. Of yeah. You stray away from the thing that you don't know how to do. Instead of really troubleshooting and digging in and figuring it out. Right. Exactly. Um, there's a, a quote by Abe Lincoln I want to share. And it's a, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the ax. That really sounds like positive procrastination <laughs> to me. If you are procrastinating, but because it's analysis paralysis, it's procrastination because you're figuring it out, that's fine. That's actually quite healthy, I think. It's when you uh, procrastinate on something that you know how to do, or you just don't want to figure the path out. And, and that's when it kind of gets into avoidance. Well, personally, I get into one where people are saying they're planners. I'm a planner. I'm a planner. And what I used to say, most planners that I know, with few exceptions, maybe 2%, are procrastinators. Because they're like carpenters who measure, 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 but they're afraid to cut. Right. Yeah, that's 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 the paralysis part of analysis paralysis. It's it's I'm going to plan, and what you're really doing is you're you're stalling, putting off, right? Exactly. Until seven doves fly around the perfect sign till till I'm ready, right? Exactly. Yeah. the 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 golden rule for procrastination is if you're selecting important tasks over dull, uh, if you're going for um, uh, chores that you are going to figure out and you're still tackling them, you're just delaying while you figure it out, that's positive. Negative is opting to do nothing. It's when you go into paralysis and then you do something else entirely or you just stall doing it entirely. And that's when it becomes unhealthy. But don't feel bad about that. You have a cure for this, right? We're about to get to that, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> Since I think I speak for the whole world when I say we all do this sometimes. Yeah. That would be funny, though, if I was, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> it's like, and that's well, you seem to be winding down, so I'm like, hey, yeah. you better have some more shit over <laughs> no, there. No, we are going to have answers. <laughs> Doing nothing whatsoever can be bad, unless you are mindfully taking time to de-stress and lower your cortisol, like FDR, in which case, procrastination could contribute to better health. So let's look at the truly negative version of procrastination. This isn't delaying a task because you're figuring out the steps or waiting to make a split decision. Let's talk about what happens in the brain when you're avoiding the task altogether, when procrastination is keeping you from starting something inevitable, and when you find yourself on the couch, surrounded by filth, even though your in-laws are on their way. Elements of procrastination may be linked to other character flaws, lack of motivation being one of them. But the act of procrastinating itself is a little bit more complicated. Procrastination doesn't happen because your brain becomes dormant and lazy. It's actually an internal battle, which Joe will tell us more about. So uh, I know that we love it in podcasts where I recommend people stop and watch something. <laughs> it's annoying. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'm going to do exactly that. I'm going to annoy everybody. <laughs> so there's a YouTube video uh, put out by PBS. And it's called, Are You a Chronic Procrastinator? And it's about five minutes. And uh, if anyone wants to pause it and watch that, I would recommend it. Or listen to my nasally drone, because I'm about to explain what they say. <laughs> <laughs> so when you procrastinate, uh, two parts of your brain go to war. Uh, there's the prefrontal cortex. So uh, if you put your palm over your head, that basically covers the prefrontal cortex, like your forehead right there. 
Um, and what that section of your brain does is its executive functions. It's planning, problem solving, uh, paying attention. Uh, so if you're on the treadmill and you're thinking about all the stuff you have to take care of today, that's your prefrontal cortex. And that goes to battle with something called the limbic system. And that's uh, near the middle and spine of your brain, or spine of the brain, the base of the brain. Uh, and that is emotional rewards, motivations, and rewards in general. So watching Netflix, checking funny cat videos on YouTube, uh, that's all limbic system. Food pleasure. Yes. It's, it's generally emotional pleasure rewards. And we share that with most other uh, creatures on the earth, mammals. So you, everybody basically has this system. And what happens is your prefrontal cortex says, come on, man, let's do this task. And your limbic system recognizes there's no reward in that task. Slams on the brakes. It slams on the brakes. I see, it, it sir, says, pulling on that. Okay. I am not going to feel emotionally <laughs> rewarded doing not, the dishes. I'm not going to get off this couch, turn this off, turn this music, stop eating this food to go do something. <laughs> right. <laughs> Whatever I'm enjoying now. Or if it's something you don't know how to do, you still have to figure out the steps. Your limbic system kicks in and says, no, let's, let's do something enjoyable. And that's where the battle begins. So uh, if you're having that battle... Uh, what you're basically having have happen is uh, you're deciding that future you will be better equipped to deal with the task. Um, there is a uh, quote from the University of Sheffield uh, that came through the New York Times. Uh, the quote is by um, Dr. Fuchsia Swari, and it is uh, what I'm talking about. It's, it's addressing the future you having to solve the problems of past procrastination you. So the quote is, the future self becomes the beast of burden for procrastination. We're trying to regulate our current mood and thinking our future self will be in a better state. They'll be better to handle the feelings and insecurities of frustration with the task that somehow will develop these miraculous coping skills to deal with these emotions that we just can't deal with right now. And that can be, I, I, in that quote, it says the emotions of what we can't deal with right now. Oftentimes that emotion is just boredom. The, the idea that we're going to have to clean up after work or that we'll be doing the dishes and you're procrastinating that dull task. Okay. You're really just pushing it on to future you to be better equipped, which you won't be. You're waiting for a more shiny object to come, come through, more interesting. Right. Or, or you're really just thinking future Joe or future Todd will be <laughs> ready for this. I am not right now. And somehow, you know, me, when I'm more tired in an hour, will somehow be better equipped. I think I got you. So I'm procrastinating about doing the dishes. It's because I think future Todd, an older Todd, will be able to handle it better. Right. <laughs> or, or for me, I have a task that is complex or it's difficult or, or a lot of people give me feedback on how to do it. And now I've got all this stuff to figure out. And I think future me surely will be able to figure this out. Whereas present me just wants to watch Tiger King on Netflix. Yeah, so even, it, even if you know... You know very well that it's not can't be that hard. Everyone else in the world has done it. How hard can this task be? Right. But you just don't know where to start. So yeah. Yeah. So so most procrastination comes down to that battle, and they've tested this. Uh, there's a um, uh, an article called "Why Wait: The Science Behind Procrastination," and they tested this exact theory uh, by giving people puzzles, and people who were um, procrastinators, uh, they of course delayed the puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but when they were told that it was not for points, 
it, it was just for fun and it was just to do it as an enjoyable task. That's when they scored no differently than non-procrastinators. Interesting. So literally when their brains interpret it as something that will be emotionally rewarding, then suddenly they're able to do it and it's, it's no delay. Now we ask the big question about procrastination. If there's more at stake than doing the dishes, how do we break the procrastination habit? For example, if I need to give a speech tomorrow that will change the history of the civil rights movement, how do I force myself to buckle down? Is there a temporary cure to procrastination? Is there a permanent cure? So I want to share a a brief story with you, if you're okay. Yeah. I used to go to the gym at 24-Hour Fitness, and there was a woman there who would get on the treadmill and every time she got on, she would change the channel for everybody. All the TVs? All the TVs. <laughs> she didn't know how to uh, go up and change it at, at the front. She used the remote, and the remote would switch all of them. And she would put it on uh, days of our lives. <laughs> and so everyone, and this is a very busy 24 hours. So it's from just the like news packed. and Sports Center ESPN that everyone likes to. Right, right. And, and, and we go from Sports Center and News to everybody is, you know, seeing who's cheating on who, whose twin is evil. And it it always made me laugh, but I never complained and no one else did. And I think it's because of this procrastination. I think that everyone realized the value of doing something that rewards your limbic system while you force your your yourself to do something boring or or you know, dull. And that's effectively the first way to break procrastination is you, uh, if your limbic system is looking to be rewarded, that's the way to stop that battle. If, if your prefrontal cortex is saying, let's do the dishes, let's work out, let's do something good for us. And your limbic system is saying, but what about my emotional reward? Give it to it. Okay. So, uh, listen so team to it up with something, pair it with something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, podcast while you're doing dishes. Days of our lives, if you're at the gym. Days of our lives for everyone while <laughs> you're at the gym. <laughs> Soap operas is what they call. That's probably before your time, but that's what we used yeah. to call them. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I, I've, I grew up with soap operas. That was, yeah. <laughs> Grandma did not do anything without soap operas going in the background. Uh, hers was General Hospital. So Yeah, you can't watch all of them. You got to have your one show, I think. Right, the thing. Yeah. yeah. It's like picking teams. <laughs> Um, so that's, that's the first way of breaking procrastination is actually giving your limbic system the reward it wants while you do the task. Now, the second way is going to be a little bit grisly, but we have to talk about it. Um, the same study I was talking about, um, by Dr. Swari, uh, they mentioned doing visualization and meditation to, uh, examine the consequences of not fulfilling a task. So in this, participants were asked to imagine a scenario where they had contracted skin cancer and delayed treatment. And they were asked to uh, focus on how things might have turned out if they didn't delay and specifically the consequences. So, so they, it wasn't just, ooh, how bad is skin cancer? Think about that. It was they were asked to analyze it, consider what it would look like, what it would feel like, what they would go through how it would affect their family. So, so really, when you look at the consequences of procrastination of whatever you're procrastinating, you have to examine it as if you're living through the consequences now. So it gets you in that state of ultimate pain. Yes. 
And that's for everything you procrastinate. So, so the very first one is to link it up with a pleasure. Give yourself an immediate reward. And the second one is not just say, oh, things could be bad or I could get in trouble, but it's to live that trouble and act like it already happened. Yes. Our brains are very good at imagining you know, any problem situation we throw at it. Like That's why we can watch Game of Thrones and be entertained. It's because we're living through a White Walker invasion. Turn that part of your brain to useful things like imagining what happened. For instance, for your story, if you procrastinated taxes and, and you know your, your business and, and what would happen if you didn't get payroll done. I like both of them. I like the first one because of the pleasure part. And the second one I can see because you, if you really do play it out in a very stoic way, it's going to make you take some action because you don't want it to go that far. Yeah, it's, it's worse to not do something than it is to do something always. Waiting never works. Things don't get better with time, right? Absolutely. Problems don't get better with time, that's for sure. Uh, personally, in my life, after reading these articles, I found that um, I like the first one, the, the limbic rewards while I'm doing something dull. I really enjoy that for running and dishes now. And I like the second one most for tasks that I don't know how to do, and I'm procrastinating because I don't have the knowledge of how to proceed. So imagining the, uh, the difficulties I will face if I don't do something like taxes or if I don't do something like you know updating my medical records or, or filling a will, I had to procrastinate that one for a while. And I realized that the consequences of not having that set up would be ter- terrible and, and you know, people would suffer. So it really comes down to the easy, dull chores, reward yourself, the difficult things to think about, just imagine the consequences. Well, something that I've never even thought about that you touched on was what's your family going to look like when this problem? And what that means to me is not just the health scare, but the peer pressure of your loved ones. Are they going to look down on you? Are they going to be disappointed in you? Which is something that not, we don't want to disappoint our loved ones. We don't want to look bad in front of our friends. That's scary. That's the worst thing. It's worse than death. Yes, absolutely. And social pressure is a great motivator, as we know. Absolutely. Dr. King's speech might have been improvised in part, and we know for a fact he was working on it to the very last minute. But we also have to consider the mastery Dr. King had over public speaking already. Procrastination and split decisions can result in something wonderful, only if you've already put in the time. The real reason you might be a chronic procrastinator comes down to mood and incentive. Be aware of those tasks that you delegate to your future self. Understand that the future you probably won't be any better equipped to handle these things than the present you. Lastly, if you really want to break your procrastination habits, mindfulness can be your best weapon. Find a way to make tedious tasks more emotionally rewarding. Give yourself a mental treat whenever you're doing a difficult job. Have something to focus on to keep the limbic system from getting bored. And if that isn't enough to get you off the couch, imagine the consequences of not completing the task. Project yourself into a reality where you delayed and the worst thing happened. And weigh that bleak reality against the comfort of sitting on the sofa for another five minutes. Thank you for listening to this show. Connect with us, look us up, reengineeredyou.com. And if you have comments or if you want to argue with me about sources or data, (laughs) please do Uh, go to the website and um, you can distract me infinitely. We don't know everything, but we have an opinion on everything. That's right. (laughs) 